This 20-year-old Amazon seller decided to focus on e-commerce instead of college. And now he's using a really neat technique in his images that helps him get a lot more orders of multiple quantities. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the e-commerce world. I've got a serious seller on the line today. Paul, how's it going? Hey, Bradley. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on here. Now, Right off the bat, what I like doing sometimes is starting off with like your absolute best strategy before we get into your backstory. And actually with you, I'm going to dictate what I want you to talk about because it's one of the reasons why I had you on the show. I saw you teach this and I'm like, whoa, that is such a no brainer, but it is so powerful. Can you briefly talk about your strategy about having the images with two items? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. So one of my most recent products, it's a macrame shelf, and it's a pretty niche, uh, high ticket item for a very specific audience. Um, and what I did for one of my lifestyle pictures was I actually took a picture, I do my own photography, I took a picture of two shelves above uh, both sides of a bed in a bedroom, right? So I'm kind of using a little bit of NLP there to direct the customer to add two to their cart. Um, and, you know, several times throughout the week, probably, you know, more like once a day, I'll get someone that buys two at a time. So that's a fun strategy. I love it. All right. Yeah, that's so cool. Now, now did you have any um, actual data on like maybe before you didn't have that and then afterwards it increased the number of dual purchases at all or anything? So I've never thought to do that strategically. It's one of those things where it was kind of an experiment that you didn't know you were running until you were running it. Um, I've traditionally always done my own photography and I've never done anything like that. Um, and I just happen to have two, right? Because I had two samples from my supplier from when I was building the prototype, um, just checking out the quality. Um, so I said, you know what? My girlfriend really likes this. I really like the product. We actually hung it up in our own apartment and we loved them. So it was pretty organic. I just actually had that picture in mind. They were next to our bed and I did that. And I had no data before that because that was the pictures at launch. Um, so it's the first time I've ever really had a product that... I get multiple add to carts um, and then I see people in the, you know, in the reviews saying they're going to recommend their friends these, they love these. So yeah, that, that was uh, something cool that I learned from that. Cool. You know, since I learned that strategy from you, I tested it on one and I mean, I don't have the actual data either, but it just seems like right off the bat for this new product launch I'm doing on a case study where it's very similar to an existing product we already had by including an image that had two of them. I seem to be getting more dual orders. I'm going to wait until this goes a little bit more and, and give some, some details here, but I think that's a great strategy. Now, let, let's take it all the way back. First of all, is the way you pronounce your last name Savage? That's correct. Okay, I just well, I was making sure it's not fancy like Savage or, or something like that. So <laughs> so how much do you get people doing the TikTok Savage dance when they, when they hear your last name at all? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not too plugged into uh, TikTok yet. That's something I'll have to probably do. <laughs> all right, yeah. For whatever yeah, reason, whenever I read your name, I think of I think it's Megan Megan the Stallion has a song called Savage and like it's this like probably the most popular TikTok dance and every time I read your name or I see your YouTube channel that dang song gets stuck in my head but anyways <laughs> all right I'm just gonna call you Paul so I'm not singing that song in my head this whole time but but Perfect. Paul where'd you grow up I grew up in Bristol Connecticut um, 
home of Aaron Hernandez of the Patriots. That's what we're best known for. Ah, <laughs> that okay. didn't turn out too uh, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Hopefully things turn out a little bit better for you. Now, growing up there, I mean, were, were you wanting to be a football player like Aaron Hernandez? Or what was your career aspirations as a youngster growing up there in Connecticut? I definitely was just rooted in nature as a child. I lived on a quite a bit of land and spent most of my days outside. So I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. And I think that worked to my advantage. I had zero conviction going into high school and even graduating. Um, I didn't want to go to college. I knew that for sure. I wanted to do something on my own, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. No sports interest. I liked fishing. I liked, you know, playing guitar. But as far as a, a career, I couldn't tell you. Okay. I, I like it. I, I think the reason why I always ask these kind of questions is because I know that there are people who who have similar, you know, philosophy or or upbringing as the the very varied kinds of guests we've had. So I know there's a lot of people who who might be like that and wondering if if they could ever become entrepreneurs. So so did you then not go to college at all? That's correct. I was actually working a job. I got my first job when I was 15 years old. I'm a little bit younger than most people. I was doing like 40 hours a week at that age. Um, but so I was definitely didn't have a problem with working hard. That was something I knew about myself and something my parents knew about myself from day one. I saved up, you know, $4,000 to buy my own car in high school, um, paid for it in cash. And yeah, I never went to college. I, after high school, I got a job at Staples as a certified technician working on computers. Okay. All right, cool. So Growing up then, is it safe to say that you weren't necessarily one of those, you know, like child entrepreneurs, you know, like lemonade stands and, and flipping baseball cards and you didn't have that bug early or did you have that kind of bug early on? No, that's exactly right. I didn't, I didn't really have any real, you know, you hear of stories of people who are, you know, making $5,000 a weekend at 10 years old. Like that was definitely not me. I was very normal kid and I didn't really have any aspirations to do anything other than something that was my own. My, my first professional job I ever wanted to do, I remember writing this in kindergarten when they asked you, I said, I wanted to be a professional bass fisherman. <laughs> ah, okay. Hey, that's, that's something new that we haven't had on, on the show. So then what brought you to the, the Amazon ecosystem and, and when did this happen? Um, so right after I graduated high school, I was you know doing the typical graduate thing, working quite a bit at a job that doesn't pay very well. Um, and simply just wanting, you know, seeing, you know, I grew up in an age that's quite different from, you know, I, we're getting more and more people growing up in this age now, but it was like, really, I grew up around technology. So I was used to seeing people that had a lot more than myself. Um, and didn't have to work as hard as I thought I was working. So I was like, oh, I want that. Um, and then I stumbled across, you know, Amazon FBA videos on YouTube in 2017, piqued my interest, and it was just a uh, uphill from there. Cool, cool. So your first product that you launched, is that what you're still selling? Is that the product that you were just talking about with that dual image? No. So my first product I ever launched was in 2018, um, and it was a mobile game controller. Um, it actually, I started learning about Amazon FBA in the end of 2017, kind of died off from it for a while, went back to work, just forgot about it. Um, and then actually I got my tax return in 2018 for, you know, working my little job there. It was about $1,300. And I said, oh, you know what? No excuses now. I have plenty of money to do this. At the time, there's a ton of videos about how to start with a thousand. I was like, perfect. I could start with a thousand, have 300 left to create my company. I'm golden. Um, so that's, that's really where it kicked off that. And then April, I decided what I was going to sell. May 1st, it launched. By June 1st, I had made 15,000 in sales at 18 years old. I love that. I love that. So at what point did you stop working at Staples then? 24 days after that product launched. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. So like, what, what about, you know, you're, you're 18 years old, you know, I'm sure already some family members, I know some family members are always supportive, but you know, there, there are old school family members. You maybe had an uncle or grandpa somewhere who's like, not going to college. What in the world? And then now <laughs> you're quitting your job, you know, like, like, so did you ever get that kind of pushback from any friends and family? Like, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, no, I've had a super supportive family. Like my family was pretty good. I never really, um, kind of letting me grow on my own and not really raising me, if that makes sense. Like I have good morals and I think my family did a, did a good job of letting me learn mistakes for myself. Um, I was never really pushed too hard to do anything, which was great. So my immediate family, you know, of course, my mom, my dad, my sisters, um, they had no problem with what I was doing. They were actually excited and um, pretty happy about what I was doing and the direction I was taking it. They weren't skeptical at all. Uh, but I do remember a discussion with my grandfather who um it was like, you know what you should do? You should get a job working at a factory and then you can make real solid money. And I was at this time, I was an ignorant 18 year old making $10,000 a month in profit. And I was like, yeah, okay, pop. Sounds good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's the, that's a great way to, to, to shut up haters. I guess sometimes is showing them your, your profit margins and what you're actually making. But I think a lot of, especially younger people, you know, too, I mean, we have a lot of younger listeners on the show, even, even high school students and you know, maybe wondering yeah. like, what, you know, what am I going to do? Like the, the typical path is somebody graduates high school, you go to a four-year university, you're 22 years old, still perhaps living at home and, and have, you know, $150,000 worth of debt that you have to pay off. Um, as opposed to you, you know, uh, you've been making enough profit to cover, you know, somebody's entire education, like every year, you know, from the time that you're 18. So there's no necessarily right or wrong way to do it. But I think your story definitely shows that, hey, this is definitely a way to do it. It's not, you know, the college route isn't for for everybody. Let's just start talking some unique strategies that you might have had on on Amazon. So flipping the script, though, uh, we're talking about what has given you success. Is there anything that you did that made you fail at a product or like, oh my God, I tried this and it was so bad. I hope nobody else does this. Yeah. So the first real commonality I found amongst sellers that are extremely successful and sellers that are, you know, tend to be failing left and right is that sellers that are extremely um, successful tend to launch products that solve problems and sellers that are unsuccessful seem to launch products that copy their competitors. So right, right away, I kind of picked up in that mentality and I only fall in, fell into this once or twice. So my first product went extremely well and my second product did not go well. You know, I was, I was like, oh, I got this. I'm super good at this. <laughs> you know, I'm 18. I launched a product. No, no problem. I'm, uh, you know, I'm killing it. I could do this just 10 more times. I'll be a millionaire. Um, that's not really how it works. So I just started launching, you know, I launched into a really competitive market where I just deployed the same strategy that I knew how to do. I bundled. But what I didn't realize was that there was listings with thousands of reviews that had tons of momentum. And I was coming in with, you know, a bundle that anyone could care less about that they could, you know, easily get on page one as well, thinking that just because I had had a success before that everything I touched was going to turn to gold. Um, so yeah, I think what what people need to realize about going into markets is that I always teach this one question you should ask yourself, does this customer need another option? And if you can't honestly say that they need another option, it's probably best to just keep hunting because there's over 70 million products on Amazon. I always try and launch products that Amazon is going to boost me to the top instead of me having to fight Amazon um, fight my way to the top. I want to be propelled. I want Amazon to drive traffic. I want them to accelerate my growth instead of try and um, stunt my growth. Okay. So you're, you're looking for, for products that 
that solve a need, like how do you do that? How do, how do you find a, a product? How do you know, how do you differentiate something that, that solves a need where one that doesn't? Sure. So I love the, the saying to know is to sell. So you can't sell products that you don't know what the product, the product is solving, what, what that customer is buying that product for. Um, so to me, I love objective data analysis. I never want to leave anything to chance. Chance will come in and it'll play its role no matter what. But for me to make a decision, I want to, you know, use principles that are backed by historical data. So I want to go into keyword research tools like Magnet, um, and I want to go and I want to look for trends of customers looking for things. And then when it pulls up a search term result on Amazon, I want to see that the results that those customers are looking at are poor quality results. So I want to see what I call a lack of high quality competitors. So I'll give you an example. My, this product that we're talking about with the dual um, dual orders, right? The macrame shelf. When I found that market, I'm not looking for anything extravagant. I think that's where people go wrong too, is they, they try and blow it out of the water with, with every single um, product, right? You don't need 100,000 search volume to make a living off of one product. Um, I, I, this customer was searching, or 1,000 customers per month are searching for macrame shelf. I remember when I found it was actually only 800 and it's been growing as a trend. Um, and, but when, when you click onto Macrame Shelf, you get to Amazon and you see all these awful, awful listings. No one had a white background. Like we're talking, you know, fulfilled by merchant looking listings, eBay looking listings. Um, and I was like, hey, I mean, that's only 800 customers, uh, but there's a few other search terms that, you know, people are looking for this product. And that's enough for me to say, if I put a professional listing that blows everyone else out of the water here, I'm going to be able to grab a majority of the market share here. And then that's what I'm. That's exactly what I'm talking about when I'm saying I want something that Amazon Amazon's going to accelerate to me, me to the top. They want to provide their customers with very very good results, right? Amazon's never going to show awful options to customers unless they have to. So if you come in with a fully optimized listing, fully optimized photography, um, a strong PPC campaign, right? Your 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 competitors aren't going to stand a chance. And it is the fact that there's a lack of competitors that makes it so easy to come in and dominate like that. How do you get your message across to the customers, though, that your your product really does solve this problem? Yeah, because, uh, you know, you, you can have the product that solves a problem, but if you're not conveying that in the messaging, it's not going to, you know, hit your, what your target is. So are you doing it mainly in the images, in the title, in the bullet points, all of the above? What are you doing? So... I'd like to rephrase that a little bit differently. So it's not that I'm solving a problem for this customer because they're really only looking for um, a piece of home decor, right? So it's it's not like they're using this as a tool. It's not like they expect some utilization out of this product. It's really mm -hmm. just they're looking for a specific product. And the problem that I'm solving is that the results are not good. So I'm, I'm actually solving the problem of becoming the first high quality competitor. I like to go for these markets that are very easy to get into. Um, that's one of the strategies that you know I like so much because it all these little wins really add boosts to your confidence with launching more products. So it's like you know instead of trying to go into a market where there's fundamentally something wrong with a product and you have to spend ten thousand dollars on a new mold and you have to rebuild it, and then on top of that, the customer doesn't even know it's better until they purchase it. Um, that's, that's a little bit of an issue. And now you have a marketing issue. How do you get that across? So to your exact question, I would say, don't be so focused on solving problems. Just be focused on providing a high quality product because there, there's two different differentiation styles, right? There's differentiation to the customers once they get it in their hands. 
that's something like packaging, insert card, um, quality of the product. But then what's going to get them to buy it is called value capture. So you have value creation and you have value capture. A lot of entrepreneurs and creative people are really good at value creation, right? We could spot an issue and say how to solve it, but where we're lacking ingenuity is in uh, value capture. How do we get the customer to actually purchase our product? So I'm not actually looking for fundamental issues to solve. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I don't even want to reinvent products. I actually want the products I'm going to be selling um, to be pretty much good from day one. I just want to solve the problem of they're looking for it. It's not being supplied. That's really what I'm looking for. And once you have that clear end goal, you can easily go look for that. Hey, what's something that a customer is searching for that there's low quality results for? I could come in and be the higher quality result simply with amazing photography and professional branding. How do you qualify or quantify that? You know, you're doing your research, you find, you know, a good keyword, you know, using black box, magnets, Cerebro, whatever. And what's your go, no-go metrics that you're looking at to, to say, hey, yes, there is opportunity or, yeah, th this is a problem that I can solve or, or this is a, a need that I can fill, but the competitors who are already there, they're doing a pretty dang good job, so I'm going to pass on this. So, so how do you decide? How do you swipe left or right when you do this? <laughs> yeah, sure. So that's really important, right? I always say that product research is in the hard part. Product analyzation and product development is the hard part. Knowing whether to say yes or no is ultimately what's going to make you um, successful in this business model. Um, we could all look around this idea. I'm sure you could look around your um, look around this room and find a product idea instantly. So product research isn't hard. So quantifying what to sell, there's something very specifically I'm looking for. So I want at least about a thousand customers to be looking for my product, right? If there's 25 people looking for it, it's not worth my time. Okay, so at least, right? At least a thousand for the, the main phrase. If we could get around that number, then that's where I'll start from. So generally with research, I'll start looking for phrases that a customer is looking for at least a thousand times per month. Okay. And then from there, when I go to that market, Amazon's going to give themselves away, right? Because we know how powerful Amazon's algorithm is. If there's a lot of listings for something and they're high quality, where are they going to be at the top? Or are they going to be hidden on page 10? Mm -hmm. They're going to be at the top, right? If yep. there's high quality results, they will be ranking for that product. So all I'm going to do is I, I call this the scroll test. So here's where we can get into some real metrics here. When I scroll through the search result of say macrame shelf, I search that on Amazon. Now I'm looking at the results. When I scroll through there, I want to see that there's less than 50% occupancy of good quality listings on that page. And what you'll find a lot of the time is Amazon gives itself away in the sense that there might be random things ranking for that search term that aren't the right product. So if Amazon doesn't have enough results to even fill up one page, then you're looking at a possibility. Okay, that's where I'll generally start from. Yeah, I like, I like that. It's very similar to what we saw and why we had so much success. Like for example, the coffin shelf in Project X, you know, I remember when Tim Jordan and I were looking on, you know, this high high search volume keyword of coffin shelf, and then we see on the very first couple of lines, there's like skulls and books and things that have absolutely nothing to do with the coffin shelf. We're like, holy crap, you know, there's definitely some some uh, opportunity here. So I think that's that's a great piece of advice. Now you're talking about being on the top of page one. You know, you're 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 talking about making sure that you're visible to customers. We all know that you know PPC, as you said, you know, plays a role in that. But is that your only method of being able to get visible in front of customers when you launch a product? Or what are your methods that you're using for yourself or that you teach your students for you know, helping to increase their, their keyword visibility or ranking in organic search on Amazon? 
Sure. I think one of the reasons that we all sell on Amazon is because they're delivering traffic for us. If we're going to deliver 95% of our traffic, let's just go start sell on a website, right? Because then we'll avoid all of those fees. We could use a different fulfillment center. It's, it's not really the issue is um, what I want is for Amazon to deliver traffic directly to me. So what's important about that? And that's why I start from knowing that there's customers looking for this on Amazon, right? Notice that's not something I'm saving for building my listing. Hey, let's go see what search terms are getting searched a lot so we could use those to rank. Now I start from that standpoint of knowing exactly what my customer is looking for. So then if I know exactly what they're looking for and I know that there's a lack of quality competitors ranking for that, then it's gonna be very easy for me to take a very high quality photo, put it on the front of my listing, optimize my uh, listing and then rank it using only PPC. So I take a very organic approach to getting to page one. Um, I just use PPC and pricing strategies. Interesting. So what is like, do you have a different strategy for PPC during, you know, quote unquote launch phase, as opposed to what your maintenance is? Like, are you going super aggressive in the beginning or basically what you start off with with your PPC is how your campaign structure is for the lifetime of the uh, product. Yeah, so I could lay out the exact structure right now. Um, so cool. I have three uh, campaigns at the launch of every product. One is going to be an automatic low bid campaign. So you're basically going to tell Amazon, hey, go find me a bunch of customers that like this product. You do the work. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But then I'm going to set my bid for that for something like 25, 30 cents. Right? So we're not bidding a dollar. We're not bidding $2. Um, we're really just trying to capture a lot of long tail keywords with that um, because with the, the nature of that bid structure, 30 cents, 25 cents, you simply, you won't show up as a top result for competitive keywords. So all that campaign is going to be able to do is go find you a bunch of unorthodox keywords or maybe misspellings or long tail keywords that, you know, a 30 cent bid would have some uh, appeal to a customer or even make it onto page one. So I, I think of that like my scout campaign that's going on is collecting me data. That's going to actually collect me exactly what my customer search terms are going to be. Um, that's a little bit more for maintenance later on. We'll talk about search time, search terms. Um, for my second campaign, I'm going to have a manual campaign. This manual campaign is going to be highly targeted um, and it's going to be just about 10 keywords. Okay. I'm very big on not wasting ad spend, trying to rank for things where my product doesn't belong. Okay. Um, we, we happen to have something in common here. I'm selling a macrame shelf. You're selling a coffin shelf. The shelf nature of our product is mm -hmm. in common. Um, so it would be wise for us to both try and dominate our own niches instead of trying to rank for shelf. Would you agree? Absolutely. So I don't think it's wise to take a list of 125 keywords and dump them all into a manual campaign. I'm going to go, okay, hey, show me everything that has the word coffin and shelf in the keyword phrase. Um, or the word um, coffin and decor in the uh, keyword phrase. And let me just, you know, let me take the most hyper-targeted keywords that are very specific to my product. So now I know these customers are interested in my product. If my product doesn't sell, it's my fault. It's the product's fault because these are the right customers right here. I know that. Um, so then I'm going to make a broad and a phrase ad group for each of those. And it's going to be these same exact keywords. Phrase is just a little bit uh, more targeting and the broad is almost like another scout. So that's going to help me to collect more customer search terms. And then lastly, I'm going to do a ASIN targeting campaign. So I want to take just about five to 10, again, very targeted, because if we have a lot of competitors, you probably pick the wrong products. You really should only have yeah. a handful of good competitors you would even want to rank against. Um, so I'm going to take a list of my competitors' ASINs and I'm going to show up as the number one spot underneath 
their listings and the sponsored products below that listing. So what that does, a lot of people don't realize this, a lot of, a lot of sales are going to come off of those sales pages. Okay. So I think something crazy, I don't have the exact number, but it's like almost like 80% of sales are going to come off of um, product sales pages, not off of search results. So rarely does a customer click onto one product and immediately buy it. We're going to say about 20% just for the sake of this conversation. And the other 80% of the time they're scrolling through before you can even make it to the reviews, you end up looking at more products. Amazon's very good at delivering you options, right? They don't want you to leave without buying something. So I want my product to be showing up underneath my competitor's products. So if I truly did do you know, my duty of creating a perfect listing, then I'll be instantly more appealing to that customer than this low quality listing. And so I could actually steal my competitor's sales right from under them. Um, and that's that's my strategy for PPC. Yeah, those three main ca uh, campaigns right there. Um, that, that's been very successful for pretty much everything I needed to do. So then how long in your experience does it take, you know, using this kind of organic, you know, method for you to show up like towards the top of page one, like what's the fastest or what's the slowest it's taken? Sure. So this is where market research initially and product um, research really comes into play. If you're trying to rank a product, like, like let's say French press, right? If you're trying to rank that product. You're probably looking at a few months of hard PPC spend um, or a month at least. Um, before your organic listing is showing up, right? You could get your sponsored listing wherever you want it um, before your organic listing is showing up in those pages. But honestly, for me, within the first week for a lot of these products, if they meet the criteria we discussed in the beginning of this podcast, they should be ranking within just that grace period of about two weeks. Interesting. That's good. That's good to know. Now, how much of a factor does, you know, reviews play in it? You know, like some people say, oh no, you shouldn't turn on PPC until you get at least a few reviews. You know, I, I personally don't agree with that, but, but what about you? Like, do you wait at all to start your PPC until you can get some reviews? And the secondary question is, is how are you getting your initial reviews? Are you using early reviewer program? Are you, you know, sending email automation to people asking for reviews? What's your methodology there? Yeah, so I personally don't think that you should wait to turn on your PPC. For me, it's like if if my listing is good, I don't think, you know, there's plenty of customers. I've personally bought things that haven't had reviews before. And the, where this works especially well is in these markets that we're talking about where there's already a lack of high quality competition. So maybe just a very good, trustworthy looking listing will be enough for them to purchase it. Um, they might not need that social proof. Um, one thing that I like about a listing when it has no reviews um, is at least on mobile, you can't really tell like you almost forget that it doesn't because it um it doesn't say be the first to leave a review until you scroll down and over 50 percent of sales are going to come from that so it i feel like it almost uh, goes over a lot of customers heads when you have none um but yeah yeah i launch without pp uh without reviews uh, i think it's important just to get customer traffic and get people looking at my listing and then methods for gaining reviews i like to use the early reviewer program 60 dollars for five reviews at least at the time we're talking about this um, Amazon's, you know, going to get those reviews for you essentially. And if you have a high quality product, you shouldn't be worried about what their star rating will be. They should be, you know, five stars. Um, and then after that, I always turn on, um, some email promotions, right? So I want to set up a sequence so that once my customer receives their product, I am making sure that I'm sending out an automated email to say, hey, thanks for ordering from us. Would you mind leaving a review? Of course, staying within TOS when doing so. Um, and then, of course, what, what was really nice is last year they added the request review button and manage mm -hmm. orders cent uh, center. So I, I use that button and that, that works phenomenal. Honestly, if you 
I, th- I feel like people get too caught up on how to get reviews instead of just making sure you're getting enough sales. If you get yeah. a lot of sales for a high quality product, the reviews will come. In general, you know, there there are different schools of thought as far as building a brand on Amazon or just trying to focus on, you know, the next shiny thing and just, you know, ride a wave of of demand until it dies and then move on to the next thing. So, what about you? What's your strategy going to be this year? Are you trying to build a brand and and expand out on on that shelf to like other kind of home decor products or are you just always on the lookout for whatever there is demand regardless of what niche it's in? I think both strategies work. Okay, so I don't have so much conviction in my home decor brand that I wouldn't sell a tool. Actually, one of my newest products right now is a, a tool and tools and home improvement um, or that I wouldn't sell, you know, seasonal items for summer or Q4 gear, uh, oriented products. I think what a lot of people do is they self-sabotage, though, in thinking that every one of their products needs to be new and exciting. Right? So a lot of people will lock down one good product. OK, 10K a month, 20K a month, whatever sales. Right. They have this one product and then for some reason they go and they just completely move gears and they try and sell something else. It's like it's like you were doing so well there. Why don't you take 10 out of the first 60 listings on that page in that niche? Right. There is going to be more listings and those other listings are going to sell well as well. It's unavoidable. Right. There, there's growing demand for your product. There's more sellers that are going to come in. Why don't you be the additional sellers that come in? So I'm really big. And this is a lesson that I didn't learn until really recently. This is something that I've noticed in reflection upon how my Amazon business has gone is the successful products I've had. I've wished that I would have taken them more seriously and built a brand around them. So we're talking about myself here, a, a seller who's been up to this point doing the um the opposing strategy of really bouncing around and just seeing what works, right? We've talked about party supplies. We've talked about a shelf. We've talked about tools, right? So I'm coming from a background of, you know, someone being that way of selling. Um, but what I've noticed is that I'll walk into these, well, not literally walk in, but I'll, I'll be doing research and I'll find a market where it's like, wow, there's one seller in this market that has 16 listings in each one of those listings range from five to 15,000 a month. Like they're doing it right. All you have to do is make a slightly, you know, different size shelf and then you're in a different shipping tier and then you can make a different color shelf and then you can make this right. Um, use that existing knowledge you have of that audience, right? You, you already have optimized PPC data for your product. Make a variation of your product and launch that and then make five more and launch those, right? Make sure you're, I want to take 50% market share of whatever I'm in if I'm in a small market and then maybe move on to something that's new and exciting. But yeah, don't, don't give up on a, a a branding opportunity just because you had one, you know, success. Yeah. Okay. Before we get into your 30 second tip, I want to play the, something we do with our guests called the search volume game. And, and every time that I, I start on a recording, I'm like thinking, what, what keywords am I going to pick? And right before we hopped on, you were, you were asking me about how I stay awake after staying up until four in the morning, writing a blog and we're talking about caffeine and I remember you had a a video a while back about how you used to be addicted to coffee or something like that. And so I'm picking some (laughs) caffeine-related keywords. So how this works is I'm going to give you three keywords that are searched for on Amazon that that have caffeine in it. And I'm going to give you three search volumes. Obviously, don't have magnet open. No cheating. Let's just see if you can match the search volume to the keyword, all right? So the three keywords are caffeine pills, caffeine gum, and caffeine powder. All right. The three search volumes from lowest to most is one of these keywords is searched for about 3,700 times a month. 
Another one's about 6,000 times a month. And the one that is searched for the most is a whopping 23 or 24,000 searches per month. So which one is least to most? Again, the, the three keywords are caffeine pills, caffeine gum, and caffeine powder. I would say that the caffeine gum has the least amount of searches. Okay. And the next, the other two? Caffeine pills, I'm going to say have the highest search volume and caffeine powder has 6,000. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Wow. This is like two out of the last three episodes. Somebody got it right. And that's after previous only 10% of people actually get them all right. So you got them exactly right. Caffeine pills is 24,000. Caffeine powder, 6,000. And caffeine gum, 4,000. So what is this? Did you give up coffee yourself and caffeine or do you still do caffeine? No, so I, I I tried to stop my dependency on caffeine. We should put it that way. <laughs> um, I was someone who's drinking, you know, three, four uh, lattes a day. And, you know, that's, you know, what, whatever, 400, 500, 600 milligrams of caffeine every day. So I, I had a dependency on it for sure. And I was getting, you know, not feeling too good if I didn't have it. And I was like, whoa, like, if we just rephrase this, if this was any other substance, right, I was drinking four or five times a day. And then I didn't feel good when I didn't have it, we would call that an issue. So I was like, why is this any different? Right? Okay, I need to drop the dependency here. Uh, my, my brain is the best chemical factory in the known universe. So I'm, I'm going to depend on that to create my energy. And it's been phenomenal. So I, I'm not by by all means, I'm not against having a coffee. Uh, me and my girlfriend will actually treat it like a treat now. So we get a, a coffee once every Saturday. And that's that's my one little caffeine treat for the week. But yeah, I dropped it as a daily thing. Cool. Now let's go ahead and get into our, which stands for TST 30 second tip. You've given us a lot of tips throughout this episode, but what is something that you think you can say in less than 30 seconds that's, you know, maybe unique to you and your students and, but, but very actionable and very valuable for our listeners. Sure. All right. We'll wait till it says 30. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, (laughs) here we go. So what I would look for is I would look for a product that has, there's three versions. There's three exact things you need to know. Okay. You need to have search volume. Your exact cut, your exact search term needs to have search volume. I would say over a thousand. The second thing that you want to look for in a high quality product is you want to look for the fact that it's going to have um, a lack of high quality competition. The third thing that you want to look for is the fact that you're going to be able to increase your perceived product value um, over your competition to make it a no brainer to purchase your product. Awesome. All right, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to reach out to you for more of your strategies or see some of these videos uh, I refer to, how can they find you on the interwebs? Sure, at Paul John Savage on any social media and Paul J. Savage on YouTube. Awesome, Paul. I'd love to reach out to you next year around this time and let's let's see how you grew out uh, that, that shelf product and also uh, what other products that you've launched in the next year or so. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. 